All right, everybody, how you doing? This is uh, the S. Anthony Says Podcast. I'm S. Anthony Thomas, your host. This is episode number 271. And folks, listen, let's just get right to it. Um, first of all, I want to thank you guys for your response to last week's episode. It was kind of short. You know, people were going, I love the episode, but it was like 18 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, I was just trying to make a point. <clears throat> and even in, during the course of that recording, I said, bear with me for this one particular episode because I wanted to make a point. And basically kind of draw a line between what I was doing before and what I was what I'm going to be doing in the future. You know, so uh, thank you very much. Thank you for the email. Uh, thank you for the kind words and the retweets. And thank you for the direct messages and all that kind of stuff. I really, really appreciate it. And now, my friends, let's get started. Now, let me ask you this. This is <laughs> this is something that I uh, I went through a while ago and it just kind of it reminded me of something because I was I was sitting in a chair in somebody's house and. There was one chair that was lower than everyone else's chair. And because everyone else was in the house all the time, the guest of the house usually got stuck with the low chair. They wouldn't give up that chair. So you're basically talking to everybody's necks when, you, <laughs> when you're sitting in the chair. And I realize there's a lot of times when you go on a TV talk show or a radio show or something like that, a lot of the times the host will crank their chair all the way up and kind of keep your chair down. You know, they kind of want to show dominance. Uh, it's my show. And the whole time you're thinking, you do realize your name's on the show, right? Right. You realize that there's a bunch of people wearing T-shirts with your face and name on it. Right. Like even if you go into a radio show, sometimes they'll play that thing where they turn your mic down and your chair's lower than theirs. You know, and it is really kind of a weird thing when somebody will crank your chair down just to try to make you feel like you're less than them. And here's the story. I go to a small town and, and, and what happened? This is this is this is years ago. Uh, this is me doing comedy in my hometown of Philadelphia. And I'm, I'm in my late 20s, I think I was. And so I'm doing this gig. And the funny thing about it is I grew up and when, in, when I started doing comedy in the 80s, 80, like 86, 87, 86 is when I started. There were comedy clubs everywhere. So when you went and when you went and performed someplace, there was a lot of bars and nightclubs and strip clubs. I played strip clubs. You know, there was a lot of places that you played. You played under every circumstance. And once you learn the skills of being able to apply your skills everywhere, you just started to love going anywhere to perform. It didn't really matter if they put a microphone there and there were some people willing to listen. I was down with it, loved every second of it, enjoyed the process of performing, even though. Uh, it was kind of a weird thing. And that's how it was when I was 17, 18, 19 years old. Now, 10 years later, I'm in my late 20s and I'm playing a place. And there's a small town between two gigs I wanted to do. Guy called me up, said, listen, man, um, our headliner dropped out. We don't want to cancel the show. We got 170 people here. You know what we're going to do? Because I have the bar um, and he's not going to get the money. Know what I'm going to do? If you can do this for me, normally we pay a salary and you know what we normally pay here. I said, no, no, no. I know what you normally pay. You can have, I'll give you a percentage of the door. I said, well, you're going to have to be a little more specific than a percentage because you could, it could be 1%. We both laugh. I really wasn't kidding. So he told me what the percentage of, and I was like, okay, well, since I already know they got a certain amount of people there, um, that's cool. Cause I knew I was going to get the percentage of the amount of, you know, cause they, they came to see the other person, but they didn't want to cancel the show. So I got a percentage of the door. Cool. So I know it was going to make a little bit of bread. And then he said, I want you to do a local radio show for me. I said, I'll do whatever you want. No problem. I mean, you're the one that, you know, you basically handing me a show and handing me a nice little bit of money. So, you know, you know whatever you need to do, no problem. I'm glad you, you called me. Thank you. Oh, no problem. No problem. No problem. He said, but if, you can get more people to come than the 170 that have come. 
I'll give you a higher percentage of everything after the first 170 people. I said, well, how many more seats does it see? This is about 106. I said, okay, okay, you know. So I do the radio show and now I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to make a nice little bit of bread. This is cool. And if I get a, another hundred, if I can fill the room up, we'll uh, get another hundred, hundred and six people in there. I'm going to get even more of that number. So that's even cool. So I'm, in, I'm incentivized. I was going to do it anyway because I already said I was going to do it. No problem. So I show up to this place and we're doing the radio show and I'm from Philadelphia. And this is a small town outside of Philadelphia, a little bit. Out, I mean, a little bit outside Philadelphia. You know, and the guy found out that I was from Philadelphia. And all of a sudden, you know, this is before I actually walk in and we start, you start doing the thing. Like, this is like, you know, when you go in and give it, have the little pre interview, you know, hey, what do you, what do you want to talk about, you know, and uh, where are you really from, Philadelphia, all of that crap. I go in and I'm talking to the guy and I can see him getting notes. From the people, you know, telling, you know, he had an intern do like a pre-interview type thing. So he hands him the paper and he looks down and he's reading the stuff. <laughs> then he sees where I'm from. And I found out that the person I was replacing was from another small town in Pennsylvania. And he was very popular in the area. And I was replacing them. And then he found out I was from Philadelphia. And all of a sudden, the attitude starts to change a little bit. All of a sudden, he's not as friendly anymore. All of a sudden, he starts putting these little little jabs in. And at first, I'm thinking he's just breaking my balls, which is fine. I'm a comic. He wants to have fun. And for those of you outside of the United States, when I say breaking balls, that's a term we use in the Northeast corridor of the United States. That means teasing your friend or giving him a hard time about something. And under normal circumstances, what it means is I tease you. If I'm a friend of yours, I tease you about something, but we're friends. You laugh at it. I laugh at it because I have permission to tease you because we're friends and so on and so forth. But even if you're not friends, if a person is cool and they seem nice and they tease you a little bit, no big deal. So I'm not taking it personally. I'm actually just deflecting his little jabs because I'm trying to decipher whether or not he's being mean or just giving me a hard time trying to be funny. But it keeps going and it keeps going. And it keeps going and it's moved now past the ball breaking stage to the I don't like this guy. He probably thinks he's better than me because he's from Philadelphia and I'm from this small town. And I didn't feel that way. Right. And I noticed my chair was way down and I noticed my mic was low and he just kept going and going and going and he wouldn't stop. And I decided uh, I'm being funny here. His staff is laughing. People that are calling in think it's funny. And this guy has no idea what's about to happen to him because the people I grew up comedically, my friends, are vicious verbally. They can they can they can actually have you come in and three minutes later you're walking out crying if they decided to be that mean to you. Usually we were also used to doing it to each other that it's funny and we like each other. But if it's directed at someone who hasn't been conditioned to it. It ain't good. And I hang with those dudes and I can slice them as well as they can slice me, which means I have high levels of slice skills. And I'm listening to this guy and I'm looking at the guy and I'm going, this guy has no idea what's about to happen to him. And he keeps going and he keeps going. And I take my verbal sword and I just 
slice him on the forearm once just to let him know you might want to stop now. His staff laughs hard. He looks over at him with his eyes kind of squinted like, how dare you laugh at this bastard from Philadelphia when we're from a small town. You're supposed to be with me. And he goes again. This time he tries to be mean with it. And I said, okay, I guess he didn't like the verbal slice in the forearm. Got to take a finger. His friends, his friend, one of his friends falls out of the chair laughing. And he's just getting mad. And he just won't stop. I'm taking his fingers off verbally. He has no fingers, no toes now. And he just won't stop. And I'm going, I'm going to have to stab this guy right in the heart. I don't want to do it. The callers like it. <laughs> his staff likes it. And I don't want to do it, but he won't stop. He just won't stop. And I'm sitting there. I already thought of something that will end this interview. And, uh, he will be humiliated, but I don't want to do it, but he won't stop. He's not being really mean to me. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, I know this guy. You ever seen the movie um, Way of the Dragon with Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris where they're fighting? And in the beginning, Chuck Norris is getting his way. And then Bruce Lee goes, OK, that's enough. And then the music starts. Bum, dum, 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 and, he's down, and he's kicking him and he's kicking him and he's beating his ass. And Chuck is trying to emulate him, but he can't because he doesn't have Bruce Lee's skill. And then Bruce Lee whips his ass. And then Bruce Lee breaks his leg and decides, okay, that's enough. I mean, I, I don't want to do any more to you. And Chuck still tries to fight him. And Bruce Lee grabs him in a, in, a, in, a, in a headlock and breaks his neck. And that's the end of the fight. And he didn't want to do it. He puts this, he puts his gi on top of Chuck Norris, puts his hands down on the silent prayer and walks away sad because he didn't really want to do that. Well, it was kind of like that, except for the fact that I wanted to break his neck. <laughs> and I would have taken his gi, peed on it and smacked him a few times as he passed away. And this guy and I said, all right, here it comes. And I jab it right through his chest verbally. And his friends are all, they, you know, you know when somebody laughs, they get up the chair and run out the room laughing. They all did that. And he's sitting there. He has nothing to say. And I still have the sword in my hand. And I'm saying, if you don't just announce, and I'm saying, I'm saying in my head, if you don't just announce where I'm going to be, and this gig, I'm gonna take your head off, and you know. And he goes, well, uh, he's um, that was very funny, hi, hi. and he's gonna be at the whoop de whoop place of night and get your ticket to get, 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 and of course the place sold out, and I got the money. I don't understand why people have to try to make you feel bad, to try to you know make themselves feel good. They kind of crank your chair down. I call them crack. There was moments when they crank your chair down and crank your chair up to make themselves feel better than you. Always hated that crap. But guess what? That crap happens all the time, doesn't it? You've been there before. You've been there before where somebody tries to make you feel like a jackass to make themselves feel better. It may even be in your relationships. You know what I'm talking about. I've had girlfriends. <laughs> this, is the, this is the funniest thing. I did not attend college. And the girl that I was li not living with, this is the girl after the girl I was living with. Um, the girl, no, wait a minute, was two girlfriends? No, it was the girl I lived with. Well, it, was, it was at least two girlfriends after the girl I lived with. So the girl I lived with at the time is irrelevant to this conversation. But this one had uh, quadruple masters and quintuple, quadruple PhD masters, quadruple masters, PhD master masters, right? And when we were hanging out together and everything was cool, she would talk to me. I would talk to her. We'd have conversations. And she didn't even know that I didn't attend college because even though she was bringing up topics and subjects and I was just conversing with her because I knew a lot of the same stuff because I'm a nerd. And then she found out I didn't go to college. And all of a sudden, oh, you know, oh, 
you know, uh, anyway, uh, Steve, um, cause that's what I went by back then. Anyway, Steve, um, would you like me to pass the salt? Salt is spelled S-A-L-T. <laughs> okay. Well, she wasn't that bad, but, <laughs> but sometimes, uh, sometimes it actually felt that way, which, you know, she would be sitting there and, uh, Half of the friends had had bachelor's degrees, some associate's degrees. There was a couple of guys there like me, blue collar guys. And, um, you know, but their spouses, significant others, didn't try to talk down to them. But she had to try to do that to me. Would you like me to? I would. uh, would, uh, No, the fork goes on that side. I'm like, we're at a Chili's. Okay, I'm eating chili. I'm not even picking up the fork. So what difference does it make what side of the plate the fork is on? Well, you know, and she kept going through all of this crap. And at first it looked, it looked like just a couple that was fighting. And one of them in this particular case, her was just nitpicking because they were fighting and they were like, well, trying to change something. Well, anyway, guys, I'm, you know, but then after a while it started getting so bad that even the other people at the table were kind of scolding her. You know, and she went to the bathroom and they're apologizing to me because they were friends with her longer than I was getting it on with her. We're sorry. I don't even know. why she's like, she's been like this. You know, it's like, you know, I said, I said, I said, I said, I said the second I told her I didn't, I didn't have a degree. She started acting like that. So, well, that doesn't really mean anything. Chuck here, my, my husband, he's, he's a plumber. And my wife, she's never, and you, you, that doesn't mean anything. It just means that you have specialized knowledge in a specific area, but it doesn't mean that you're more intelligent than someone. There's a lot of people that don't have degrees because they didn't have the money at the time and then they just went on with their lives. And, you know, I said, that's, yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And she comes back and now she's starting to do that crap again. And her friends are like, would you shut up? <laughs> right. You know, and, uh, and, and she just kept doing it. And now we get in the car and we go home and she's, you know, and then all of a sudden, because she knows she's about to, you know, I'm about to jump on top of her. At least she thought I was, she's all nice again. Anyway, and I'm going, uh, what the hell was that at the restaurant? I don't know what you mean. I said, ever since you found out that I didn't have a degree, you just assumed I had a degree because of the way we were able to converse about many, many different subjects. But the moment you found that I didn't have a degree, you started talking to me like I was a four-year-old and I didn't appreciate that. Well, I, just, I mean, I'm just saying that, but no, I don't want to hear it. So you got to, said, you have to act, you have to change this. You have to change the way you're behaving because you're not going to be doing that to me. I, I, I've never been condescending to you. I've never been mean to you. There's many areas where I have more knowledge than you do and vice versa, obviously. But you never, when we're in a situation where I have expertise, you never see me be condescending to you. I will give you information. I will give you information when we're alone or I'll find a way to give you the information if someone else is around in a way that just looks like one person helping out another. I never try to put you down and I will never allow you to do that to me. I'm really upset with you. You know, does that mean I'm, you're going to take me to your place? I'm like, no, no. But I mean, look at this. You mean to tell me in this dress, you don't want some of this? I'm like, no, right now, I don't want any of that, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe I just need to, we'll talk tomorrow, but right now, hell no. And that's when I knew I was maturing. Because 25-year-old me would have nailed the crap, would have banged the crap out of her in the car, driven her back to my place, banged her, taken her home, went upstairs with her, banged her again, and then argued with her. Come to think of it, I probably should have done that. I mean, no, never mind. <laughs> F y'all. So it was one of those moments, once again, she's cranking my chair down, trying to make me feel bad. Crank, 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 crank. Right? 
And you get that all the time if you really think about it. When you go about your life, there's always times when somebody decides they want to try to put you down to make themselves feel better. Hell no. Sometimes you don't even realize they were doing it. Have you ever gone to a supermarket or to a store or someplace where you weren't comfortable with because you didn't have much knowledge in a specific area? And when you're driving home, you realize that bastard was talking down to me that you realize you would just got played like a chump by somebody. Don't you wish that that chair cranking sound would start up the moment somebody started doing that to you? That would be so cool, right? That would be so cool if you could tell that somebody was being condescending when they're trying to be slick about it when someone's trying to play you for a chump and they're trying to be slick about it when somebody's looking down at you and you don't even realize they're doing it because sometimes you don't realize it sometimes you're so focused on something else you don't realize what's happening and it would be so cool if that sound would come out you walk into a store you're not really that familiar with computers you ask an honest question and the person starts talking down to you with knowledge that they, they now know you don't have knowledge so they start throwing out words that aren't necessary for a layman to hear so they can prove how smart they are, right? And then you, well, if you really want to know what a motherboard is, it's a let you give it. Hey, 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 hey. I just heard the chair cranking sound, man. Were you talking down to me, bitch? Uh, oh, no, sir, I definitely wasn't. I just wanted to let you know what the motherboard was because, I mean, most people, wait a second, the sound again. That would be so good. In fact, I would like that sound to be so loud that other people could hear it, too, so they could realize that the person was being a douche to you and that you didn't deserve it because the sound wouldn't come up if you deserved it. But if you didn't deserve it, I want that chair cranking sound. Oh, that would be so good. I never understood that concept of being mean to someone or talking down to someone when they didn't deserve to be talked down to. Oh, no, I don't like it. I don't accept it. Now, I don't hear the chair cranking sound when someone's doing that to me now. It's just that I have a lot of awareness to it. And I pay really, really close attention to the people that are around me and to the people that are talking to me. And I don't allow it. You see, when they try it, the chair cranking sound starts. But then moments after that, or sometimes simultaneously, the chair raising sound will come. Because I grab a hold of the crank that they're trying to use to knock my chair down and I pull it in the opposite direction until my chair is even. Then I lock it and I look at them and they realize they're not cranking down my chair. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Segment over. Ah, folks, let me talk to you about something. This is this has actually happened kind of recently. It was a, it was a real weird, weird thing. And it reminded me of something that happened to me a long time ago. And it was really, it was really weird. Um, I was driving um, to uh, the hospital for to see a sick relative. And I was driving some other relatives there to go visit the person. And while they were there, uh, and only so many people can be in the room at a time. And I was the, one of the odd people out. So I decided to go to a 7-Eleven. I go to the 7-Eleven and I pull up in front. And I'm going, I don't know, what the hell do I want to get out here? I want to get something to eat, but I don't feel, to get something to eat anywhere near here is going to cost too much. And I don't want to drive all the way there. To, uh, get something out of here. I see a sign that says 10 wing dings for five bucks, 7-Eleven. And I'm going, yeah, that, that'll do it. I'll get something to drink and I'll eat this thing and it's cool. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm parking the car and I look out the window and I see this like, ah, oh, there's no parking here. Oh, there's one parking space. Let me get in there real quick for one of some idiot slides into this parking space. I don't need that crap. I pull in. 
And I'm trying to decide, should I take my dash cam out the window? I mean, the 7-Eleven's right there. Maybe I, and nobody's going to break into the, I'm going to my kid. I'm looking, I'm looking right out the window. If somebody goes in my car, I'll run out and whip their ass or whatever. And while I'm there, I'm taking my phone down out because I was using my phone as a GPS. I'm putting it in my pocket and I'm locking up the doors and I see a guy standing by the door of the 7-Eleven. It's about six feet tall, kind of a muscular build. And it's very, very obvious. Oh, he's a black guy, too, with dreads. And um, and he's standing there and you could tell that. And I've been around travel enough. I've been to enough bus stations, been to enough cities. I know the situation. And you could tell he was someone who probably was homeless or in a shelter or something because the clothes he had looked like they were his only clothes that he had to keep rewashing and rewashing and rewashing the wear every day. And he made himself as presentable as possible. But you could see what the situation was. Right. Maybe he hadn't been homeless that long or maybe he had, like I said, maybe he had a shelter to go to. But it was really pretty obvious. Uh, and if you've traveled a lot and been to bus stations and been around, you know what it looks like. You know what the, what the situation is. So he's standing there. It's obvious that he wants people to give him money. But the thing is, this you, you look at his face and you could see it was like every time somebody walked past him, it was kind of a, a mental battle for him to to ask people for money. He He wanted to, but there was something inside him that was like, no. And it was really weird. It was like he was having this, he was like having this internal struggle. And the funny thing about it is when you see somebody like that, a lot of times you kind of train yourself and sometimes justifiably so not to make eye contact because you never know who you're dealing with. This could be a disturbed person who then snaps and comes after you, or it could be just someone who comes up and just gets a little bit too physically close to you and you don't want to deal with that and you don't want to go into your wallet and you don't feel like giving anybody any money. You just don't want the problems. So a lot of times a person like that is sitting there and they're invisible. So I'm looking at the guy and I'm trying to figure out, you know, I mean, who, who, I, I, he doesn't seem like the kind of cat that's going to attack anybody or anything like that. And he doesn't look like he has any weapons. And it's not like he's covered in, you know, some kind of excrement or something. He's just a guy who has older clothes on that's been washed. And the kind of stuff that you would walk, that you would wear around your house. You know what I'm saying? When you don't give a crap because somebody's coming over. It's not really bad, bad clothes, but they're obviously been, you wore them 14 billion times. You've been washing them again and again and again like that. And I'm watching people get out of their cars and, you know, but, you know, when somebody's walking with their phone and they're intensely looking at the phone because something actually is on the phone. And then there's when they're looking intensely at their phone, when they're basically going, I'm going to look at my phone really hard and super intensely pretend like I'm looking at something. And then he will not talk to me. It was a whole lot of that. And I'm looking at the guys. I'm putting my stuff away in the car as I'm about to go in there, trying to find where in the car, I put my damn wallet and I'm looking at the guys and I take my, my wallet and I put it in my back pocket. But while he's not looking, I take the dollar out and I put it in my left pocket because I want to give it to him. And I get out of the car and if, like nobody's looking at him. And he's looked over and I look at him and I nod. I say, what's up? He goes, hey, what's going on, man? I said, hey, I'm sorry, man. He didn't ask for money on the way in. Hmm. Maybe I was wrong. I go in, I get my wing things. And I'm heading out and he's looking at me and he's, you know, and I go, so what, what, you need something, bro? He goes, yeah, man, you got a dollar set. As a matter of fact, I do. And I handed him the buck. He goes, thank you, man. I appreciate this. I said, not a problem, brother. Not a problem. 
Now, in this particular case, it was a black guy, but I, 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 that's not why I did it. Because I've been in exactly the same situation with some white guy or some Asian guy or some lady or whatever. If I had it at the time, what the hell? You know, what difference does it make? It's not going to change my tax bracket. What difference does it make, right? I'm not saying I do it every time, but then, you know. But I thought about it. I started thinking about things from his specific perspective. What it's like to be on the street for a long period of time. And I think the reason that I have a soft spot like that is because I had one time where I was on the street for 24 hours. Now, it was a little bit different. I knew I was going to have a place to go. That's the difference. It wasn't the same thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just saying I had a little bit more of a perspective on it than I had before the, the an incident that happened to me. I go to a town and I'm supposed to be doing a gig there. And what happens was the person called and told people at my house at my place uh tell him not to come because we're moving the show he's still going to get the same money but something else happens and what they will whoop, 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 whoop and a whole lot of other bunch of crap but nobody told me so i'm i go to town i get there i catch the, and it's really difficult to get to this location you know, it's a real pain in the ass to get there. But once you're there, everything's fine, but it's a pain in the ass. I get to the train station, nice little ride, catch the cab. They drop me off to the place. I pull up, hey, is everybody? What's going on, everybody? What are you doing here? Huh? Yeah, well, we, you're not supposed to be here till tomorrow night. Huh? Yeah. They didn't even have a room for me. There was no place for me to stay. The person who would have been my contact person who maybe even let me stay at their house, they weren't around. So I'm basically in this stupid city with no place to go. So I go to a hotel, no hotel room, some kind of something convention, something, something, something's in town. And there are no rooms till tomorrow afternoon. So I got to kill time. I mean, what the hell am I? I'm basically, I have no place to go. I can't ask these people in this in, in this place. To, I can't stay at their house. They don't know me from Adam. Hey, I'm a random person you've never heard of. I was wondering if I could stay in your house and probably kill you in your sleep. No? Oh, right? So now I'm dragging around my luggage. And it's like, I could almost hear the theme song, that the 70s era music for the Hulk called The Lonely Man. Boom, 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 boom. I'm hearing that in my head as I'm walking down the street. And I'm going, what the hell is I got to kill till tomorrow afternoon and I have no place to, to I ain't going to sleep on a park bench and get my head cracked open by some jackass. This is bull. So I go, okay. All right. I'll go to a movie. And I go to the movie. You know, how many movies can you watch? Okay. This is a, then as it turns out, some of the damn movies were sold out. So I only got to see one movie. I was only able to kill 90 minutes. Great. Oh, where the hell am I going to go now? This is, this is ridiculous. Crap. Bus station. So I walked to the bus station. I was going to catch a cab or something, but I needed to kill time. I, I didn't give a crap. Go to the bus station. I walk into the bus station. I sit down on the bus station. There's a whole lot of people here. There's lights on and crap. It's great. Okay, great. I can sit here, put a little couple of quarters in this thing and watch some TV while this show sucks. Can I have my quarters back? Guess not. 
Yeah, go to the bathroom at least. And you can do that for a while. And if you're not the person that's stuck there, if you're the regular person who's got a place to go and got a place to stay and you've been to the bus station, you know what it's like when you see somebody hanging around the bus station a lot longer than they're supposed to. Because let's be honest, the security people and the people behind the counters know how many buses have come in and gone out. And if you were legitimately in the bus station to catch a bus, all the buses you could have caught that you could have legitimately been there to catch have already left. So they'll go, okay, he missed the bus. Maybe we'll just see if he stays. And if he misses all those buses again, he's just trying to sleep in here. And you see those people get rousted out on a regular basis. And you go, that's a shame. Well, now one of those people is me and I'm sitting there looking at the buses go out and the people. Now, I'm actually dressed pretty nicely compared to the people there, meaning the people that are kind of trying to sleep there. So no one's saying anything to me. Hey, what's going on, buddy? You're a regular member of society, right? (laughs) I can tell that you're wearing regular clothes. (laughs) I'm not going to be condescending or look down on you and treat you like crap. (laughs) But the person next to you who's obviously been here for half a day, we're going to take him out back, kick his ass and throw him in the (laughs) And that's what they do. Get out. They drive. Out, get your punk ass out trying to sleep here. Get out. You got a ticket? No, you don't get out. I'm waiting for somebody. And you ain't waiting for nobody. The only thing you're waiting for is the ass whipping you're about to get now. Get out, punk. And I'm hoping that I don't get rousted out and get the get out punk treatment. And I'm sitting there. And all the buses left. And like I said, if the second thing of buses goes by and I'm still here they're gonna know something's up and there's two buses left and uh, so I walk out the back like I'm gonna catch the bus Hey, <laughs> walk around the side of the building and disappear cause I don't wanna get thrown out oh it's now it's evening <sighs> now what do I do I sit on the bench in the park for a little while, meaning four hours. And people are looking at me like, what the hell is this guy sitting in the middle of the park with luggage? The hell is with this guy? What the hell? Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, people sitting there with luggage. And nowadays, the last thing you want to do is walk away from your luggage anywhere. So I know I can't do that. And people are starting to look at me. What the hell is with this guy right there? Why is this guy's, guy's kind of looking suspicious? You see people looking at their phones and looking at you and looking at their phones and looking at you and looking at their phones and looking at you. And you know, you got to get the hell out of there. So I get the hell out of there. Now, where do I go? It's a diner. Uh Okay, I got some money on me. I'll go in there and eat. And people don't mind if you hang out in a diner. And I've thought that because I've only hung out in diners the amount of time a normal person would hang out in a diner. Not the type amount of time that a person who actually has no place to go hangs out in the diner. So I didn't know what the dividing line is. Apparently, it's about three hours because after that, uh, would you like another cup of coffee and nothing else, sir, bastard? Get out. <laughs> right? We really need these tables for people who aren't sleazebags. Get out, die, bastard. So now you leave. You got to go back to the park bench. You got to try to go back to the bus station. Hopefully another security guard and another staff is on hand. You walk in. Nope, same people. And you keep doing these things over and over again. And you fall asleep on the bench. And you go. You can't find any place to go to the bathroom. You got to go to try to go to the bathroom on a tree. And you hear police officers coming. and And it's a whole lot of that. And eventually it's the next day and you go back to the hotel 
and they go, hey, hey, I'm glad you made it. Not realizing that this is a new set of staff and that you've been here the whole time. Oh, yeah, we got a room ready for you. Just got to wait another hour. So one hour, I think I can handle it. Then you get your room and everything's back to normal. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that was a major inconvenience, having to sit outside and try to hide places so you know, because you have no place to go. But that was just one day. One day. And it was a huge pain in the ass. And I was and I was maybe two hours away from my deodorant going, you know what? I'm done for now. You can start stinking. I was right before that point. And that's what was going on in my mind when I saw that guy. I had one day like that when it was really wasn't that big of a deal. I had a change of clothes, several changes of clothes. I had some money in my pocket. I knew there was going to be a place for me tomorrow. This was just a really bad set of circumstances. And it was a huge pain in the ass. But this guy, it wasn't just one day like that. It was every day like that. Imagine every day being like that. Imagine not having a place where you can even get your mail. If you wanted to try to get a job, just imagine that. And I can't give this dude a buck. I can't look at him and treat him like a human being and say hello. I'm going to walk past him like he's invisible. I can see he's got dignity there. He's just in a bad situation. So I gave him the buck. Didn't hurt anything. And all this happened in a... And I swear this this entire all of this that just had that I just talked about happened within like a short ten minutes top from when I pulled up to when I went in, bought my crap, got in line and left. And that always kind of stuck with me because it was the same thing that happened at another donut shop I used to go to to get my green tea. There was a guy out there. And then the same the same story went through my head and I gave him a buck. And I didn't mind giving him a buck when I went there. I only went there a couple times a week. No big deal. But what started to happen was apparently he had a big mouth and he told some people. So all of a sudden I drive by and I wasn't going in that particular time. There was two dudes outside the donut shop asking for money. Hmm. I come by a week later. There's three dudes outside. Ask four, six, you know, all of a sudden there was like six dudes outside the donut shop harassing people for money on the way in. And yes, I have sympathy. But I ain't that sympathetic. So um, I had to get my green tea someplace else. <laughs> but it's really weird, man. Sometimes people, they they feel invisible. And sometimes we treat people like they're invisible. Not just on an individual basis, but as a society. And I think that's a, that's not good. So if you, if you can, you know, if you see somebody there, man, even if you, even if you ain't got the buck to give them or you don't want to give them the buck because you don't want to give them that close to you, when you get, you just kind of, you know, act like they, act like you see them. Because it's really good to be seen. People want to be seen. You know? You want to be seen, don't you? Now, granted, if I walked out, and my car and the guy standing there with a saber going, nah, I don't know about you, but if I see any average height black men that drive a Toyota Camry, I'm going to fuck them up. 
that guy's not getting a buck from me. I'm, I'm, I'm really not going to, I'm not giving him a dollar. I'm probably just going to back the mighty Toyota Camry back out of the parking lot and call the authorities. And I'm going to say, dude, please. There's a guy standing outside the 7-Eleven with a sword saying if he sees an average height black dude get out of a Toyota Camry, he's going to mess him up. So if you have any police officers that are average height black guys, don't send them. And if any of your police cruisers or Toyota Camrys, make sure that you don't send them with the black guy average height in them because there's a good chance something bad might happen. <laughs> but in all seriousness, my friends. Let's be compassionate with each other. Let's be kind to each other. Let's love one another. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Segment over. Well, folks, uh, as you probably know, you probably saw it on my uh, Facebook uh, earlier this week. Uh, I, my youngest uncle passed away. Uh, this is the second uncle in less than a year because my other uncle, my uncle Junior, passed away in October. And a few days ago, my other uncle, my youngest uncle, uh, passed away. So it's been a pretty bad 365 days, you know, because these are the two uncles that I spent the most time with because I was the, the main reason, the main way as they got ill that they got to the hospital. You know, I would take them from one hospital to the other ones. I took one uncle to his radiation treatment for his lung cancer. That would be Uncle Junior. I took this one to the hospital for his many problems and things of that nature. And I talked about my Uncle Junior in the podcast right after he passed away. And this is my Uncle James. And we called And the funny thing is, we still called him Jimmy. <laughs> right? And the reason we did that was because essentially he was a, uh, he was a free spirit. And definitely a nonconformist. He was one of those people that did what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted, and couldn't care less whether you liked it. And in many cases, when directed properly, that's a wonderful thing. But sometimes, sometimes it wasn't necessarily directed in the most productive areas. But that's true of all of us, isn't it? But the thing I noticed is when I thought about it, when I thought about him and his life and the way he interacted with me and our relationship, I realized that he... He was 20 years older than me, or a little 20 years older than me, something like that. Well, he's 20 because he's 69 and I'm 48, 21 years. I'm almost I'm about to be 49 at the end of this year. Um, because he wasn't super duper older than me, even though he was an uncle, our relationship was a lot more playful, more like sometimes we would hang out. It was more like boys, you know, than anything else. And I never called him Uncle Jim because he never wanted me to. In fact, he goes, what the hell, Uncle? No, 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 no. You do, you do damn old to be calling me that shit. So, <laughs> and they all kind of did that. But the funny thing about it is as a shy child, someone who didn't really talk to people that much, I literally sat there and I, and I watched a person who was a free spirit. And it's different when you have a person that's a free spirit that's right in front of you and a nonconformist that's right in front of you. You see it on TV. You see it in the neighborhood. That's still so far removed from you that it may not influence you at all. And like most children, when you see people around you, if you're a smart child, you kind of look at the traits of each person around you and you try to pick out the best traits and you kind of try to apply it to yourself. With my uncle Junior, he was smooth. He was cool when he was younger. He always gave really, really good advice. Um, he had the charisma. And I applied that to myself. Those things that were in me, that were in him, I kind of, they kind of were brought out by being around him. 
my Uncle Jim, who we lost recently. When I looked at him, I saw him as a nonconformist, as a person who was loaded with talent, as a person who sometimes was a huge pain in the ass, but most of the times was fun to be around. I saw somebody who, when I was having a hard time talking to girls, gave me some advice. And literally his advice was actually wrapped up in confidence and it was like a gift that he gave me. Because after talking to him, I never had that problem again. I've never had that problem again. And I also remember when I was a kid and I was having a hard time with some things and I didn't even share it with anybody else. And he just happened to catch on to it. And I, you know, it was the first time somebody hugged me when I was crying because I'm not really a crier. And I was a younger person at the time. And he never hugged me before, but he did then. And you don't think those things mean anything to you, but it did. And we never talked about it. Because I solved the problem. Because he gave me the confidence to do so. It's amazing how when you look at somebody when they're gone. You kind of forget that they were more important to you than you thought. Because I too am a nonconformist. I don't like other people's rules. I don't like to be hemmed in to anybody else's stuff. And I can see that being around him brought some of that out in me. And he's a free spirit. And I think now I have one. Funny thing is, my Uncle Junior died in October. There's a part of me that still mourns that. And that wound hasn't healed yet. I saw him almost every day. And now the other uncle who we just lost was the other one that I was seeing every day when he was going. And I didn't see him as much near the end um, as I as I could have. Sometimes I would drive to the place and let my uncles and my other relatives who are closer to his age, his more contemporaries, would have time with him. But even though both of them are gone. I can still see the stuff from them that made me a little bit better. He was a good guy. Genuinely. Like I said, sometimes a huge pain in the ass. (laughs) But you can never say that he wasn't a good guy. Because I know that sometimes there'd be little annoying things that would happen, but that happens with all families. But when you needed something very badly, when he could tell you needed him really badly, not only was he there, he was there early. And even if you inconvenienced the crap out of him with the request, you'd come up to him afterwards and you'd go, and he'd go, don't worry about it. Granted, you know, there'd probably be uh, like a cup of sugar missing and a whole lot of your tin foil because he's like, hey, look, I was, I was going to do this at home. You the one that made me come out and have to do this crap. The least you can do is give me some damn tin foil. <laughs> There's going to be a whole lot of memories. There's a whole lot of memories of my Uncle Junior flowing through my head right now. And it happened since he passed away. And now, now it's a double feature. Now I got a whole bunch of movies in my head floating from my Uncle Junior. And now we've added a new reel to the cinema. Um, Movies about Uncle Jimmy. 
really good guy. He will be missed. Rest in peace. Well, folks, this has been episode number 271 of the S. Anthony Says podcast. I want to thank you guys for coming back. I appreciate your kindness. It really, really means a lot to me, my friends. Uh, I consider you really, really cool people. And thank you for the love that you've been showing to me over the past time as I've been doing this. And uh, hopefully you'll continue to do so. Uh, this podcast, this podcast can be seen, seen, can be heard damn near everywhere. iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, the Podcast Revolution Network, um, of course, iTunes and various other places. The home base, the home base for this podcast is santhonysays.podbean.com or you can just go to santhonysays.com. That's the website. Uh, social media on Twitter. I'm on uh, Twitter at at S. Anthony Thomas. The Twitter for this show is at S. Anthony says the email, even though apparently, especially after last week, I know, you know, the email, but I'm going to say it again anyway for new people. The email for me is talk to S. Anthony at Gmail dot com. T.A.L.K.T.O. Of course, my name S. Anthony at Gmail dot com. But if you if you're listening to the podcast, it's in the notes. Uh, much love to everybody. I really appreciate everything that you guys do for me. I appreciate the, the shout outs and subscriptions and the, the retweets and all of that kind of stuff. I really, really appreciate it. Much love to everybody. Uh, all the people that are listening to this. And one of the things I will not change is the way that I say goodbye and the way that I sign off the show. I kind of like that. And we're going to do it on the count of three. Do it with me. Cause I know under normal circumstances, the people that have been listening have been from what you told me on the count of one on three. Are you ready? Okay, cool. One, two, three. S. Anthony out.